All right, so let's, let's jump into the word. Uh, we are going to talk, we're continuing our series on overcomers, uh, becoming battle ready. So let's go ahead and stand and read God's word. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, 13 through 14. We're going to be trekking through uh, these next passages uh, for the next three weeks. So let's go ahead and read this together. One, two, three. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, Amen. Stand, therefore. So here's our, our spiritual tattoo that we're kind of going to be running through in some degree these next couple of weeks. Our believers are created with the capacity to overcome. Believers are created with the capacity to overcome. Father, as we get ready to dive into your word, make it so plain uh, to us in the hearing of your word. May you give me the grace, Lord God, to make your word clear. Uh, Lord, I pray that every meditation of my heart, every word of my tongue uh, would be pleasing uh, unto you, my King, my refuge, our God in whom we trust. Lord, and so as we open your words, may we be hearers of your word that lead to doing your word. Father, all the things, uh, the clutter in our souls that in worship we seek to confess and bring that before you, all that clutter that hinders us from hearing your word. Lord, we present that before you. May our hearts be, be soft, the softness that you provide in the gospel to be able to receive the implanted word. And so, Lord, may your word be clear as we engage and dive in and learn what does this look like to be battle-ready, to be an overcoming community. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's something interesting about boxing, right? Uh, boxing's real interesting because before you go into a match, and this could be any kind of, it could be any kind of team, right? But before you go in, before the boxer goes in, he needs to study his opponent, right? He needs to be able to get in there and know what exactly is happening. What's, what's the, the length of his arm's reach? Uh, what's his weight? What are his, what, how does he throw jabs? Uh, what kind of stance does he have? He's studying all these things, and he's studying it from past fights, right? He's studying how has this person performed? And then they got to know if they can, how have they been training? What have they been doing? Because there's something about stamina when you look at these kind of things. And so a boxer studies all these things. Here's the interesting thing. What they're really studying and looking at is I got to find the vulnerabilities, I got to find where does this person have weak spots? Where are they most vulnerable in their past fights based on their training? What is going on and how can I get at them? Because what a, what a boxer, it's amazing when you get into a ring and, and whether it's, whether it's um, whatever fight you might be in, right? There's a sense of where if the opponent studies enough, if they know they're facing someone that has the TKO on the first three rounds, but if they can't knock the person out in the first three rounds, they don't have the stamina, they're going to do everything they can to train to block those punches to endure to the fourth round so they can turn the fight on them. See, when you know the vulnerabilities of your opponent, right, you can go at it and take them out. And this is what, what Paul is getting at. is He's saying this is how the enemy goes to the church and the believer, right? He, he studies you. Satan studies you. He's not omniscient. He doesn't have the characteristics of God. He's not omnip uh, omnipotent, all-powerful, and all-present. He can't see and know all. And yet he studies you. And so as he studies you, he's looking specifically for your vulnerabilities. He's looking for ways in the midst of the continual battle that is going on all the time. He's looking at some ways to get some concentrated punches in your vulnerabilities. So while you're fighting in the ring all the time, he's studying. He's studying from the outside before the match starts. He's studying as you're fighting. He's studying all these things and he's looking for that because he's going to take it to you with some concentrated efforts in particular areas. This is what Paul is beginning to get at. He's saying, if you're going to stand in the evil days, 
Evil days aren't just the, the between now and when Jesus comes again, but the evil days in that implies identification of a vulnerability and sucker punching that until they knock you out. That's what, that's what the enemy does is when he enters the ring, this is what he's doing. And it's interesting that, as we've talked about two weeks ago, we have a threefold enemy called the flesh, our brokenness, right? And what else? The world and the devil. That's a three-stringed rope that comes at us all the time with some concentrated effort. Here's the thing. There's at least four things. I want you guys to get these. There's at least uh, what we see one of the, the four, I call these the four D's of how the enemy's going to come at you. Look at this. One in, in the book of Ephesians is deception. That threefold prong is coming at you hard with deception. In other words, he is going to seek to entice you away, to do whatever he can, give you lies, mislead you, play on those vulnerabilities until you are led astray and believing a lie. He's going to do that. He's going to come at you with deception, hardcore. And it comes subtle, too. It comes, it's, it's like the, if you throw a frog into a boiling water, the frog's going to jump out because he knows but if you put a frog in cold water, he's swimming, chilling. But then you turn the heat on and you slowly get that water, you kill that frog over time. That's what the enemy does. He's coming in and looking for our vulnerabilities and trying to deceive us from pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And it's subtle. That's one way, deception. But he'll also use difficulty based on 1 Peter. He'll use extremely difficult times in your life to tempt you to compromise and question God's goodness. He'll use those, those extremely difficult times to begin to ask questions, and then what he'll do is he'll stay in your ear, and he'll begin to speak into you, and then he'll bring people across your path to validate some stuff that you began to struggle with and wrestle with and believe. And, and he's just waxing that. He's, he's getting in, and he's trying to shine that up. He's trying to make it good. And so he'll use a deception, mix it with an extreme difficult time, and before you know it, you're compromising and giving up in the difficult time because you've begun to see something about God that's not true about, about him. So he's going to come and use extremely difficult times. But then he'll also use distorted power. This is crazy. This, this one is huge today. In the book of James, he's going to say, you use power and you become complicit with systems and opportunities and things in life that are not consistent with Christ, but it's being complicit with an unjust, unrighteous way of doing life. And so what happens is that if we benefit from a form of power in any area of our life, we often are tempted to want to stay there because it's comfortable. And if we think that Christianity is all about our comfort, the enemy has got you at distorted power. Do what you can to make your life comfortable, safe, convenient versus becoming more like Jesus and walking with Jesus wherever you go. This, ain't com this, this, is, not, this, is, not, um, this is not popular to emphasize discipleship. It's popular to say, do your best life now. Do whatever it takes for you to become famous, and we'll use Jesus to actually make that happen. That's what he's going to do. The enemy is coming after to get you to compromise, become complicit with the comfortable life, and as a result, we see the missiological deficit. In other words, when you go try to tell people about Jesus, what is their impression of Jesus? Where is it the enemy versus where is it we as the church have been complicit with ways that are not consistent with Christ and all of a sudden they think about Jesus based on our distorted portrayal of Jesus because we took the Jesus and made him appeal to what we want him to be. And as a result, we're in a deficit missiologically. And so to, to see people come to know Jesus, we have to live this out and let God deal with stuff in the church that says the enemy has got the better hand of many areas of our lives. And I'm tired of the enemy trying to overcoming. And I think part of it is, is God is saying, be careful in the book of James, where he says to those that are participating, weep and mourn. How many sermons tell you when you're in that area of being complicit with power, you need to weep and mourn? That's not a fun word, is it? 
But James says we have to, we have to be careful because the enemy is going to come in and do that. But not only does he, will he tempt us to distort power to, to use it to hurt others, but he'll use discouragement. He'll use discouragement based on Matthew 4, Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, right? So what, in other words, what this is, is the enemy's like, um, so Jesus, I'll give you the kingdom real quick right now. and You don't have to go to the cross if you just bow to me once. If you just jump off and, and, and then he starts getting fancy and quoting scripture to try to tempt Jesus to, to compromise. Why? Jesus, you don't have to wait that long. Jesus, you don't have to go through that much difficulty in life. I mean, if you're the son of God, oh my gosh, he attacks at the core of our identity. If you are the son of God, questioning and trying to bring discouragement to where you're like, yeah, I am a son of God. Why do I got to go through all the suffering? <laughs> I'm a child of God. Why do I have to go through all these suffering? And all of a sudden we're like, oh, yeah, all right, you know what? I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to let something else define me and shape me more than Christ himself. And we begin to become discouraged with God's timing and his process. The enemy will take that and he will, he will manipulate that and he'll get you to where you don't know where you are. You see, that's the thing about the four Ds, is that these things are coming at us hard. And as we look at that, Paul knows this. So, so this is what Paul means when he brings up the evil days in verse 13. When he says, so that you might take up the full armor, so that you might stand in the evil days. Because he knows, dude, this, is, this stuff is coming at you. This stuff is coming at you. What is, what is the area, based on those four, I want you to think about that. What is the area where you tend to succumb and be tempted the most? Where does the enemy try to sucker punch you in a vulnerable area? What is your vulnerability? For me, it's discouragement. God, it's not happening the way I was hoping and the timing you wanted it to happen. And you, began, you become discouraged and you start thinking, maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should do it a different way. And, and God, the whole time discouraged, the enemy plays on that discouragement. And he starts, you start questioning things. What is it? What of these Ds, where does the enemy tend to come hard at you? We've got to be aware of that because Paul says, look, I don't want you to be unaware how the enemy comes at you in the church in Corinth. Right? We've got to be aware of this. You see, there, there's a sense because Whatever this is in your life and how it plays out, that's going to be your vulnerability. He's getting ready. And, and, it, and you'll know because you're like, it works this time every time in my life. <laughs> Why do I keep getting discouraged when things don't happen this way? If the best thing could be happening and one thing triggers. And he, he plays with that. He, he works that discouragement. What about every time, like deception, I'm prone to believe a lie and be bamboozled. I, when someone slanders, I, I like take that morsel and I run with it. I'm like, yeah, 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 right? Instead of saying, hold up, let me evaluate the situation. What, what, are you, what are you prone to? Difficulty. When it gets hard, it's like, it's not supposed to be this hard as a believer. What are you, what are you prone to? Distorted power. You're like, if only I could get here, then life is going to be good. If you're wondering, if only I could get here, life is going to be good. Be careful because in the process of getting there, unless Jesus doesn't work, you're prone to distort power. And so this is where God is like, where is he coming at you? And so Paul is saying, look, guys, if we're going to be battle ready to be aware of our vulnerabilities, he says he's going to give two things. The first thing in verse 13, the first point is he says, I need you to know that we overcome this by properly preparing for the battle. He says, we overcome this by properly preparing for the battle. So he says this, Paul knows uh, that we need something greater to do this. And so he says, look at this, verse 13, look what he says. For this reason, because of all that's going on, take up the partial armor of God. Is that right? Right, let's sit on that for a minute. He says, take up the full armor of God. Okay, so that, why? Purpose clause, so that you may be able to, what? Resist in that evil day when he comes to sucker punch you. Okay? And having prepared everything to take your stand. You, you, he, he, he's getting them saying, look, when you've prepared everything, and as you've put on the full armor, you're ready to stand. 
You're ready to stand. So, so he gets out, he says, so since the enemy has been studying us, and even 1 Peter 5, 8 says that he's like a lion roaring, prowling around, trying to, to discern and identify where that vulnerability is. That's what he's going on. And then he says, he says as he's doing that, he says, because that's a reality, you need to take up, take up. Circle that if you have your Bibles. Not many people read paper back Bibles or highlight it. Take up. Everybody say, take up. That's an imperative. Take up the full armor of God. In other words, he's saying, it's not optional. It's not like, uh, maybe I'll take up the armor. Maybe not. I don't really feel like it today. It's like the boxer going and says to the trainer, I just don't want, I think I'd rather eat McDonald's and a big old cheesecake today. Right? And, and, and the thing is that the trainer knows if you're not on point, you're not going to be battle ready for that fight. And you're going to feel the impacts of those punches because you were building a gut versus a six pack. You didn't know how to flex your muscles in a way that can absorb the, 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 the onslaught of punches to your side and your kidneys. You, you, were, you, you, you slipped up and, and you began, and you say, look, you can't do that when you're in the battle. To get battle ready, you better take up the full armor of God. It's not optional. It is a part of the life of a believer because the battle is raging. And he says, so since the enemy is doing that, you've got to take up the full armor. See, the, in other words, there's no amount of human engineering that you can do in your own effort to try to resist the blows. It doesn't matter if you eat some cheesecake and, and go in and say, man, I could do this, I could do this, I'm going to overthink it, I'm going to overthink it, think it, think it, think it, think it, right? Mind over matter, mind over matter. If I could think I could take this, man, when that punch comes at you, it's going to grab you. It doesn't matter how hard you think you can take a punch. If you ain't battle ready, you're going to fall. <laughs> Right? And so he goes on, he says, so I need y'all to take up the full armor. It's similar to like this. There's nothing we can create in our own understanding. We're kind of like, it's like when a, when, a, when a child, when you play peekaboo with a child, okay, they take a, pi a pillow and they're saying, peekaboo, right? Peekaboo, now here's the thing. When they, put the, when they put the pillow up, they literally think that you can't see them. <laughs> you can't see me. You can't see me. You can't see me, right? Just because they can't see you, right? You guys can't see me, right? I'm invisible, right? Just because they can't see you, they believe that you can't see them. And they're blinded to the vulnerability that they have in the battle. So whether they like it or not, I'm coming to tickle them because I can still see them. <laughs> that makes sense? That's kind of what we do, right? It's, 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 it's what we do is we take up these pillows instead of the full armor. And we think that it's going to block the enemy. And I think that it's at a time what happens is that we're seeking to cover up our vulnerabilities and they're not working. Have you ever felt discouraged in the battle? And you're just like, why does the enemy keep coming at me in the same place and he keeps overcoming? I thought I had a savior that overcame. Well, what is going on there? And, it, and he said, so because here's the thing. Here's what we often think about. At times we hear, take up the full armor of God, but we respond by pulling up pillows. Mm. In our spiritual life. It's kind of like this. Things like this. If we can just work hard enough, then maybe I'll feel like God actually loves me. I don't know if he loves me, so let me just work harder. If I work harder, maybe he'll love me. Why? Because, because of my past. I had a hard time trying to get the affection from my father and my mother. And so that's built within the core of us that God is still redeeming. And we're, we're just like, we're reading God based on the lens of our upbringing. We're saying, God, like, how could you love me? Maybe I have to just work hard enough and work hard enough and work hard enough. And the enemy keeps throwing things at us over and over and over and over. And what happens is that we're like, why do I still feel cues from the enemy? Why do I feel like I can't be enough? Why do I feel like I'm not forgiven? Why do I feel like dad isn't near me? Why, why, why? What we're doing, we're asking these questions. And here's the thing, we keep pulling them up. The problem is... When we are not letting the, the word of God and the truth of the gospel cover us, the enemy has all the, all the room in the world to accuse you 
Of course he can accuse you if you're not taking up the full armor of the gospel. And so we, we're, we're putting up the pillow of like, instead of believing what Christ has done, we're like, I just need to prove myself to God. And God's like, but that's a pillow that you need to drop. Smash that pillow because that's not stopping the accusations of the enemy against your soul. And so there's another one. That, that can't withstand the onslaught of the evil one. What about this one? If only I can stay busy enough, then I'll be able to ignore the pain of my past that I cannot shake. Just, just, just stay busy. No, 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 I don't want to think about that. No, no, let me, let me, let me stay focused on this. Ah, no, stuff it. No, why is this pain coming up right now? Oh my gosh, someone did something at work and it just triggered me. Boom, boom. No, I gotta be a good Christian. I gotta be a good Christian. Okay, I need to stuff it. How many, how many all do that in your souls? We, we rush around so busy that we have no time for Jesus to actually shepherd us. Yeah. Do you have large to let Jesus shepherd you in your life? Because that's what he wants to. He wants to lead you as the good shepherd. But as the enemy got under you and said he's not good. Are you believing the lies that said he can't shepherd you? He's going to let you down. See, that's what we, we, we brought this up. And here's the thing is this never works. Because the enemy will always get beneath the band-aid and punch that would uh, wound and drive bitterness deep into your soul. That, that, that band-aid we put on. The enemy is saying, I'm, I'm going to, he knows that if it's a band-aid, he knows how to get beneath the band-aid. Just like I know how to take off a band-aid. I don't know how to take out stitches when the wound is properly healed. But I can take off a band-aid. The enemy knows he can take off a, a human-engineered band-aid and start uh, uh, driving bitterness into your soul. And he wants to do that. He came to kill, steal, and destroy, right? And so if we just put a pillow and a band-aid of ignoring what the Lord wants to do and healing us, we give room for the enemy to sucker punch us in those vulnerabilities. Here's another, that's another pillow. I'm just telling it as it is. I'm speaking my mind freely. Now, telling it as it is is good when it's a prophetic word from the gospel. <laughs> But here's what often happens. If you're like me, this is where discouragement creeps into me. Here's some of my business. Eventually, my lamenting can turn into despair and give it into the doubts of the enemy that God is not good and cannot use us for his purpose. You feel like you're discarded. You feel like I, I can't. And, and the truth is, it's oftentimes we rely on our own strength to actually do that. Right? And then we realize, like, dang, that's not working. It's just not working for us. And so here's where uh, it, it's, it's, this cannot withstand the onslaught of the evil one. And so here's the question. How are you seeking to cover up your vulnerabilities? Where are you covering up your, vulner your vulnerabilities? Right? Uh, where have you experienced the disappointment time and time again of getting sucker punched by the enemy? Where has the enemy got through the pillows? At some point, the Lord makes it clear that the pillow isn't working. <laughs> it just ain't working anymore. It's not accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. And so then he begins to say, now that we begin to see these pillows for what they are, he says, let me show you why you need to take up the full armor of God. Because here's the thing about the armor of God. It's a distinct armor that is the only thing that can withstand the onslaught in the evil days. What we're about to go through is the only thing that can withstand that onslaught. The first one is that it's, it's a, the armor is worn by the Messiah in the Old Testament. The armor, every piece of the armor of God is already worn by the Messiah in the Old Testament, and Jesus puts it on and wears it in the New. So it's already worn. So here's the implication. The Messianic armor advances. Messianic armor is not just for a defense, but Messianic armor advances. Because when the Messiah steps on the scene, he's not stepping to preserve brokenness. He's stepping specifically to advance the kingdom. That's what he's stepping on the scene to do. Right? So he's coming on and advances. And so what he, we need to know that when we're armed in this way, it comes by union with Christ... 
And that's how we are going to push forward the kingdom of God in the spiritual warfare. Is arm yourselves with the armor that is in Christ, not peace and throwing stuff on outside of your, your position in Jesus. When you trust Jesus, you have access to the arm, all the armor. Here's the thing. You've got to put it on, though. You've got to put on the armor that he has already given you. Like if Zachariah doesn't put on his school uniform, he's going to have some onslaught of teachers and, 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 and staff and, and students saying, you're not dressed right. I don't know if you can stay. The only way for him to endure is to actually put on the armor that mom and dad bought that was required in order to go to that school. That's what he said. He said, you've got to put on the right armor that advances. So, and it begins with you've got to be trusting Jesus. When you're in Jesus, you have access to put on all the armor that advances. See that? Here's the other thing he says, though, is messianic armor is gospel applied. This is really interesting. I don't think I've seen this before. But watch this. The way you put on the armor is by appropriating and applying gospel characteristics in your life. It's, it's appropriating and applying gospel characteristics in your life. That's what we're going to talk about in the armor. It, it, it puts that on. And so the only way, in other words, to get battle ready is to learn to appropriate and apply the work of the gospel in your life. So sometimes we, we look at the armor and it's like something like, I don't know how it relates to the gospel. These are gospel characteristics that are already ours in Jesus Christ. We just need to put them on and we will advance the kingdom. You see, because an unguarded believer is a believer who is not growing in applying the work of the gospel in their life. If we're not growing in applying the work of the gospel in our life, we're an unguarded believer. Have you seen that? So if, if we're not growing in the gospel, we're unguarded. We're unguarded and we're prone to attack, therefore not growing. Do you see the connection there? It's a huge connection there. But a guarded believer is one who is applying the full work and implications of the gospel in gospel obedience. So he says, if you're going to overcome, you've got to put on the proper clothing. Get prepared. Take up full armor. Because that's what it's going to take. Now, here's the other thing. It goes verse 14. The second one is we overcome not just by properly preparing, but we overcome by properly applying the gospel. Watch what he says in verse 14. He says, so in light of that, stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest. We're going to hit on two of these dynamics today. The, these, these first three, and we'll cover two today are those that need to be appropriated in your life, okay? The other ones need to be applied. These things are already true. It's kind of like this. It's like a man, imagine a man who's in a very dry, desolate land. No, no water, no plants. He's got an RV, and he's struggling with drought, with food. He, he's having difficulty with this. As he's sitting on his land, one day, in the midst of his, of his struggle and her, one day, an oil company comes and says, hey, can I drill in your land? And in despair and despondency, he's like, all right. As they begin to drill, all this oil starts to gush out of his, the very land he was living on. And will you know it, that from that oil, he becomes extremely wealthy. He was sitting on the wealth of provision that he was blinded to. He didn't know what was under the land and he wasn't able to overcome the drought in the desolate place because he didn't know what was on his land that he needed to tap into. And as believers, I mean, oftentimes we say, well, Jesus gets me into heaven and then I kind of do my life and I keep getting attacked and, and I have all these areas of deception coming at me. And then I start confusing what Jesus is. And I feel defeated in my life. Because I don't realize that all these things I'm about, he tells them to put on, you have in Jesus. You're not to beg Jesus for them. They're already on the conquering Messiah. If you're in the conquering king, he says, put on what you already have. And the first thing he says is, I need you, I need you to put on that belt of truth. Strap yourself with the belt of truth. 
You see, you, you can, you, it's interesting, you can imagine Paul sitting back in his house arrest, right? Ankle on his foot, chilling, trying to figure out, he can't really go anywhere. And he's sitting here, and he's thinking about the Messiah who has the armor. But then he's also looking at the, the guard over there who's keeping an eye on him. And he's looking at the sense of, how do I, in my present circumstance, as I've learned to be content and walk in the things of the gospel, whether I have a lot or whether I don't have a lot, he's working through these things. And as he's looking at it, he's saying, how do I communicate to this young church how to overcome? I, I, I see that this battle is crazy. It's cosmic in its significance. I've, I've highlighted the personal work of Jesus and how he's overall. But how do I help them to practically live this out every single day? He says, oh, you know what? Hold on, hold on. So the Messiah has a belt of righteousness, okay? I see a belt over there. You know, I'm going to start with this. You guys need to put on the belt of truth. He says, as you put on the belt of truth, it's interesting about the belt of truth. One thing that he notices and understands is that the guard has his belt. And watch this. It was most likely the leather belt that didn't belong to the armor but belonged to his underwear. It, it, it was a belt even though it wasn't the most visible attribute of the armor. Watch what it did. By bringing it brought together the tunic and most likely covered the thighs, it gave a sense of internal confidence that things were in place. You, you, you couldn't quite see it. You could see it in some degree. It may not have seemed that significant compared to the other big, large pieces of the armor. But he says, you got to put this on. Because without this belt of truth, everything will be scattered. The other pieces of the armor won't be in the proper place, therefore leaving you more susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. It, it, it's, it's a belt of truth uh, that brought an internal sense of confidence in the battle. Right? And so he says, it's, it's kind of like in some of the translations. Y'all heard the translation where it says it's girding your loins? That's what he means. Your tunic. Your inner part, that's a part of your underwear, under the garment, under the armor. You put that together and it gives a sense of internal confidence, of rootedness as you approach the battle. The best way I can think about this is that when I go to the airport. So you walk up to the airport, you have your bag and you're walking in and you're getting ready to go to the TSA area and you're going to go through the metal detector. Now as I'm walking up, I'm confident, right? Here's the thing, then they say, so you need to take off your belt. <laughs> What happens? As I take off my belt, if that day I'm wearing a little too loose pants, you kind of have to begin to, you kind of, instead of like going in confidence, you're kind of like this. And you begin to tuck in your t-shirts. I need some extra padding to keep these pants up without this belt. And so as I'm walking, I'm holding the pants up, kind of walking like this, right? And I'm kind of like there. As I get into the, because here's the thing. Here's what I know I'm going to have to do when I get into the metal detector. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. That's what you got to hear. You can't walk through like this. You need to go like this. There's this and so there's a, there's, without my belt, I don't have confidence walking forward. Here's another thing. My wife calls them the hat days. Y'all know what I'm talking about. When... When Jesus is like, and I got permission to share this, so don't, don't start me on this. Um, when she's having a bad hair day, what does she do? Put the hat on. When you put the hat on, that's a very important thing. You do not. So, so we're at the park, and Zachariah loves hats. So what is Zachariah trying to do? He goes up and, Mommy, Mommy, let me take your hat. Let me take your hat. Let me take your hat, Mommy. And she's like, no, 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 because here's the thing. That when that hat's on, confidence, you can walk around. When the hat's off, <laughs> right? You don't mess with her hat when the hat is on. Right? And I think that's what he said. Look, there are times in your life when you don't have the belt strapped up around you, the belt of truth, you're going to walk into the battle disheveled without confidence. Because you don't have a grounding of how God called you to cinch up and put together all the elements with an internal sense of confidence that says, based on truth, I can move forward. This is what he's, what he's getting at there. And so it's interesting for, for both of these, the enemy loves to come in and use those four D's to deceive you and steal your sense of confidence. 
and deceive you into replacing a healthy internal confidence in the truth that we're going to talk about with the weak and faltering self-centered confidence. Because when we, when I'm walking through that and my wife has a hat on, we have to create a sense of confidence that is temporary, but it won't get us further. If she doesn't get her hair done, right, it's, she's not going to gain confidence to wear without a hat. If I don't put that belt on, I am not going to run to that plane to catch it. I can't. I, I lost God. Do you see what I'm saying? And so we, he wants to get that. So here's the thing. Paul's telling them. That they need to put on truth like a bell because truth is what holds things together and informs the way the armor needs to be arranged. Did you catch that? It gives a sense of confidence in the right things and it teaches you how the armor needs to be informed and arranged. It produces a humble but confident walk of an overcomer. That's what the belt of truth does. So it's a thing. What is the truth that we're putting on? What is this belt of truth? It's a nice kind of idea out there. But what is the truth that we need to put on? Here's the thing. Come with me. Here's, here's, there's four things that are key for us to engage in elements of the truth. One is that Jesus Christ says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? So Jesus Christ is the truth. The word of God, Jesus says in John 17, 7, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, the word of God is truth. Sanctified by the truth. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth in Christ. Okay, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So here's the thing. Truth needs to be in Christ. Outside of Christ, it's not truth. Truth has to be in Christ. It has to be informed or saturated by his word. And it needs to be inspired or filled with the spirit of God. Okay? And it needs to be displayed through the church. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. That's why independent of the local church, you will have a partial understanding of truth that crumbles when you put the belt on. So living an independent life, an isolated life as a Christian, is prone to get beat up by the enemy. Because truth is, a, is the church's pillar and foundation. They are the pillar and foundation of the truth. In other words, it's like this. The truth is that we are transformed by Christ, by his word, through the ministry of the spirit, to be embodied and put on display through the church. Did you catch that? That's truth. If you mess that up, that's not true. So if you mess up those four elements and you're not interacting and engaging in Jesus as the truth, the word of God is instructing concerning the truth, the Holy Spirit opening our eyes and applying the truth in the context of the church, the pillar and foundation of the truth, you don't have truth. Does that make sense? That, so he says, look, he says, that's what truth is. And so he says, he says, when you put on the belt of truth, you need to let those four elements be determinative and influential in your life. That's what he means by putting these things on. It, those four things are going to properly arrange areas of your life. Without those, you will be susceptible and prone to the onslaught and the deception of the evil one and vulnerabilities. He says it's, it's the thing that produces the necessary confidence in the battle as an overcomer. And so the sobering thing about this is that we can know something about the truth and yet not be in the process of being sanctified in the truth, right? We can know something about the truth. I can know something about Jesus. And I'm like, I want to follow you. But if I'm not in the word of God and I want to be a hyper-spiritual believer, but I'm not in the word of God, I can very be prone to some of the spiritual attacks from the enemy who is also a spirit. He ain't the Holy Spirit, but he's a spirit and he is going to seek to deceive the nation. In fact, when it gets so difficult, the text says that if the Lord did not cut the day short, even the elect were prone to be. Because it's that, it, it, it's that thick of deception. So if I'm not engaging these areas of truth, I can be spiritual and be led astray. Does that make sense? If 
if I'm not seeking to surrender, as Unjan preached last week, to the work of the Holy Spirit, I can read all the Bible I want, and I can be a seminary professor and not know Jesus. So I turn into a critique of the Bible versus submitted to the Word of God as the Word of God. You see this? So these four elements of truth, I need to daily be putting on these four elements of truth. These are the necessary ingredients, church, to what truth is. We need to put them on in preparation. Because he says, here's the thing. He says, to be in this place of defining our own sense of truth and not ascribing and saturating those four, even as one who claims Christ to lead, leaves you prone to the deception of the battle. If this is truth, then how do we practically put it on? If truth is those four things, the first question before we get into how to practically put it on is, does your definition of truth involve all four of those? Do you engage in those four areas? How are you at engaging being in Christ, focusing on Christ? How are you doing with the Word of God? How are you doing with yielding to the Holy Spirit? How are you doing with functioning in the local church and being a part of building up the body of Christ? To display, to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. Right? We all begin are a part of putting this on display. And so then now as we reflect where we, where God wants us to grow in our understanding of truth, how do we practically put this on? We acknowledge those are the four. The way we put this on is we need to be engaging that whole truth. We need to be engaging that whole truth. Uh, what do I mean by that? What does it look like? Well, so if the enemy is seeking to deceive you, then putting this on is living a life of honesty in light of the truth. That makes sense? The enemy's coming out to deceive you. The way to deal with the attacks is to learn to live an honest life based on those four areas of ingredients of truth. Got it? So let me, let me make this plan here on the honesty. It's like this. You need to be honest with God. There, there is an honesty with God. Go to, if, you, if, if you have it, you guys should next go to Psalm 51. I want us to see this real quick. This is an example of honesty with God based on the truth. Watch, watch, uh, watch what David says. In his repentance, he says this. Psalm 51, 4 through 6 says this. Against you, you alone, I have sinned. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight, so you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. So there's the honesty with God that David says, you know what? I was running around and I was bugging out, and I had to learn to be honest with God. I had to be learned to be honest and saying, you know what? I've been blaming you and blaming other people. And there are times in my life where I just got to realize, like, Lord, it's me and me to prayer. I'm the issue. I've been trying to distort your truth. I've been trying to make up my own. I've been trying to run from you. And maybe the Lord is like, you know what? Today, I just need to say, it's me in need of prayer. I need to be honest with God. This needs to be a part of regular rhythm of our life, right? We need to realize that being honest with God is the key element. If we are not honest, then we're being deceived somehow. <laughs> If we feel like I can't come honestly to God, somewhere some, somewhere in there we started to believe sin is not a big deal or God doesn't care for us, right? And, and God's saying the first thing in putting on the belt of these elements of truth is in light of that truth, be honest with God. What is he saying? Where are you at? And, and can bring before him. And so because easily, I mean, even as a believer, we can have a distorted understanding of truth, right? And we begin to live in something that's not true of God or us. Here's the other thing. We need to be honest with ourselves. This one's a little more extensive. That's a hard one, isn't it, sometimes? How many of y'all just think about it? How hard is it sometimes to be honest with yourself? Right? This, right? Like, somehow put it. This, he, he says there's an honesty with self that needs to be reality. Look at Psalm 32. There's so many more other passages about this. But this one comes to my mind. This is David. This is David after he experiences the forgiveness with what he did with Bathsheba. Okay, so he's writing a psalm based on the blessedness of being forgiven. 
Okay? So then, and then he's going to teach others and, and, and these kind of things, and God will continue to teach him. Look what he says in, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 32, 3 through 5. He says this, When I kept silent, my bones became idle. When I stuffed it as if it wasn't an issue, it started impacting my soul, right? And like, there's something about, there's something, there's a, a bodily interaction, a symptomatic oftentimes of what's going on in your soul. So we're not being honest with God about where or with ourselves about what we're feeling and where we are, and we stuff it. And we stuff it so much that we just kind of form a stuffed way of living. And then we become a stuffy Christian. And no one wants to be around. Because we're stuffy. We were, we're hiding from stuff. We're not paying attention to what the good news really is. And, and so we, we're having a hard time being honest and being truthful because we're stuffing everything. And David says, but when I kept silent, that was happening. From my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Part of being honest with God is you need to be honest with yourself. As revealed in truth, his word, in community, right? This is the hardest thing. Like, our community, when it comes to discipleship and the one another, it will only go as far as people are willing to live in honesty with each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. A discipleship community relies upon the one another. And so if we are saying, I don't really have a problem, or if we're not teachable to say, to let someone speak into our life based on an observation they've seen, but we take, we're like overly critical and defensive uh, about, no, 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 that, that can't be true of me. Like, if that becomes the, the atmosphere, then we're going to have a short-circuit discipleship culture. Does that make sense? That, that, that's part of this, just, this very plain right here, y'all. It's like, God gives us the joy of saying, you know what? We can be deceived and beguiled and bamboozled. Galatians 6, 6 uh, 1 says, If anyone has um, fallen in, has been led astray or caught up in any transgression, that he was spiritual, restored in the spirit of gentleness, but be humble knowing that you can fall to the same thing. Here's the thing that word is like a bamboozle. To be caught up in any transgression is like being a frog in a pot that feels good that you're swimming in water and then you don't know that you've got a fire underneath you. So you'll get caught with a sucker punch to the side that you didn't see coming. You see why truth is in the body, the pillar and foundation of truth? Because we're all prone to that. So to put on the belt to be protected and have an internal sense of confidence, I need to know that if I'm bugging out, someone's going to come and tell me something. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, that's what I'm called. That's, Jesus calls us to that as a church. If we don't live that out, we will not be a disciple community, straight up. We can talk about discipleship. It's the biggest thing at conferences. Do this, do that. I love it. It's great. I've been in that for a decade. But when I think about it, I'm like, if we can't get beyond this point, we won't see the one another's really embody in the church. Church, can we go there? Yeah. Right? That's part of you. Do you want the security of being the truth around your belt, knowing that if you get caught up, someone's going to call you in a loving kindness and non judgmental, but going to call you on it and love you and bring your heart head around you and say, But it's okay, sister, it's okay. But this is not okay. We love you, but hey, you got caught up in some stuff. Will our hearts be sensitive enough to say that's part of putting on the belt of truth? The moment I put on the belt of truth, I'm trying to get out this point, but I think we need to stay here. The moment I put on the belt of truth, part of putting on the belt of truth is staying in the body of Christ and not running. Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. The enemy's going to do whatever he can to get people to run away from the church. Like any of the local church, like we know churches get shut down all the time in our city. One of it is because we're struggling preaching the gospel. Okay, straight up. Two, we've messed up. But oftentimes, because we've missed it, as a church, we just learn that eh, it's not to my convenience, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Or if someone in a, in a church, that's why when people come in, I'm like asking like, hey, how is your past relationship with your past church? Right? That's important. Right? Because people are going to transition from churches, and that makes sense in L.A. But when people are like, I'm done with the church because of some things, that's because we're not battle ready to understand how to put the dog on, build the truth on. Right? And so, church, we got to put that belt of truth on and be in community to begin to do that. And that's where he says not only, but, but here's another thing. 
Not only do we be honest, part of that honesty, go to Psalm 42. Not just being honest with my sin and what I'm struggling with and being caught up in different things, but look at what he says in Psalm 42. Y'all, this is, this, is, this is important for us. And we'll talk about this more with the helmet salvation. But in Psalm 42, 5 through 6, look what he says. He says, the psalmist says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior, my God. What's the text saying in the CSB? I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Ramon. Right? Like, he says, he says, look, well, he's asking this question of being honest with yourself of, why am I so depressed? Sometimes we run so fast past it that we don't ask those questions that the psalmist asks. Why am I like, why am I feeling this? Why am I dejected? Why am I in despair? He says, I need to hope in the Lord again. But in order to hope in the Lord, I've got to be honest about where I am or else I get the stuffy Christian mentality. I need to be honest. And I need to be honest not only with myself and with the Lord, but I need to be honest with others as we talked about. I, I need to be honest in James 5.16. I need to be confessing sin one to another. It's not biblically enough to confess your sin to God only and say that's enough. Right? Because the belt of truth is in community. If the belt of truth is in the context of the church, the pillar of foundation of the truth, James 5.16 says you better confess your sin one to another so you might hear the prayer of a what? Righteous person, which is going to be the next piece of the armor. You hear the prayer of a righteous person, and that person is praying for you. So you experience the gospel all over again, and your stuffy Christianness gets thrown out, and you start to have clarity. You start rejoicing in the salvation once again because you're walking in fellowship with the living God. This is putting on the belt of truth. And so truth is not just an intellectual understanding, but it's an understanding that is worked out through these four elements in complete, complete honesty in such a way where we are able to walk into the battle with the Lord's confidence. Are you walking into the battle with the Lord's confidence? We need to engage these four areas. The last one he says, and do put through this one, is the breastplate of righteousness. You see, the belt of truth had to cinch up the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth is already ours in Jesus Christ, as is the breastplate of righteousness. And here's the thing: the breastplate of righteousness is guarding you from your most vulnerable. It's guarding your most vulnerable organs. So if you put this thing on right in accordance with the belt of truth, righteousness defined by truth, not human understanding of pillows up, but in the truth of this thing, then he says, the righteousness will guard your heart. You see, the enemy, if the breastplate is not on, the enemy is coming to instill shame, guilt, and fear into your life. He's coming after you to try to find a way to get through the breastplate of righteousness to begin to work in you. And if it's not work, put in right, we're vulnerable to his onslaughts as a believer of shame, guilt, and fear. So we're vulnerable for those when they come in, right? So if we don't understand this piece of the armor that is ours in Christ, then we're vulnerable to, to these deep attacks. You see, as the enemy is coming after that, he's coming at you trying to convince you that you're not good enough. You should live in the shame of your past. Nobody could, nobody could forgive you for those deep and dark areas. Does the enemy come and like try to accuse you of past sin that Jesus has already covered? Does he accuse you that you haven't done enough to make yourself right with God? He says, just keep them buried. Not even God can take care of that. And that area, just keep that in wraps. Okay. Well, God has forgiven it, but maybe he has, but you don't need to tell anybody. Just go to the grave with that thing. And before you know it, you have formed things around that wilderness. And there's a shame to that that is prevailing in your life. And sometimes God is like, I need you to once again put on that breastplate of righteousness. Look what he says in Zechariah. This is a beautiful, beautiful image. Look at this, Zechariah chapter 3. This is what he's doing. He's seeking to come at us, the enemy is, like he did Zechariah 3. Look, look, look what happens. He says, Zechariah 3, Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right side to what? 
accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Isn't he snatched from out of this? He's a unique one. The Lord rebuked you. But watch this, verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed with filthy cloths as he stood before the angel. So the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him. Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. See, the enemy did have something you could try to say, but the Lord said, I need y'all to put some new clean clothes for his filthy rags. See, see what's happening there? There's a, there's a change in transition when the enemy's coming to accuse. Watch this. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head, and they clothed him in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. Then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua. This is what the Lord of Army says. If you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among those who are standing here. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your colleagues sitting before you, indeed, these men are a sign that I am about to bring my servant the branch. Did you see what's happening? Joshua could be accused. He was guilty as charged. But the Lord in his sovereignty plucked him out of the fire. And then he gave him new garments. Pointing to the reality of what the branch is going to do. Do you see the significance of that? When the branch comes, his cleanliness is not in his ability to change. Right. His ability is not his, his uh, oh, let me get back here. So his ability to be transformed is not in his own ability to change his own clothes. He didn't have new clothes. You see, so what happens is that this passage is pointing toward the branch who is going to come that is going to do a righteousness transfer. You see that? It's a righteousness transfer. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus, the branch, did not know any sin. But he made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that what? Yes. We might become the righteousness of Christ. You see, the breastplate of righteousness is believing what Jesus has already done when the enemy is prone to tell you you're not good enough. You're not forgiven enough. There's no hope for you. You should throw in the hat, throw in the towel, throw in everything and get to the sideline. When the enemy tries to come at you and accuse you, the way you put on the breastplate of righteousness is you say, look what Jesus has provided for me. I come not of my own accord, but I come with the breastplate of righteousness because of Jesus' death and resurrection as the branch made me righteous. Do you believe that today, church? Yes. If that is your belt of truth, if, that, if that's the belt of truth that you need to take on, let the truth of what we just said be your protection in your heart. When the enemy comes at you, you say, Jesus is my justification. When he says, you're not going to be changed, Jesus is my sanctification where he's changing me. When he says, you're not going to be with him, Jesus is my glorification that's going to bring me to heaven. Am I alone up in the house? Amen. This is good news, y'all. We can be rejoicing over this stuff. And he says, so look, you have this in Jesus. You're, you have the capacity to overcome the lies and the deceit of the enemy by simply saying, King Yeshua, what clothes do you have for me? And today, I'm putting on the truth. Today, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to appropriate what is already true in Jesus Christ. Amen? Y'all ready to do that? That's how we will learn to be a community that is trusting in the finished work of Jesus. Now, many of us have failed at this. We've messed up. Remember, since Jesus wore the armor, 
Since Jesus accomplished everything through his death and resurrection, since the gospel gives you righteousness, since the gospel is the truth, then the more that you rest in the finished work of Jesus, the more you will learn to take on these, this armor. Don't do it in your own strength. We do it in the strength of the Lord. And so let's, as, we, as we do that, I, I want us uh, in this season to remember that the enemy is going to come after those vulnerabilities. But when you put this on, it's guaranteed to advance the kingdom of God. Church, let's put on the armor. So as we trek through this, I want us to take this seriously about what does it look like to believe the work of the gospel and apply for this week, begin to really zoom in on applying the characteristics of the truth of the gospel, those four elements. And I want us to look at what it means to rest in the finished work of Jesus and his righteousness given to us so that we can walk in freedom.